This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Resources, LLC. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, it's your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I am Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place. It's just a different place. So you must go out, buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. Holland is a code word for living life with disabilities. My hope and prayer is that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. This has been a great week in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Marie and Christina, who are 20 and 18, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is a typical 15-year-old. Maria celebrated her birthday this past week. She's no longer a teenager. She is now 20 years old. And one of her teachers came up with a bright idea, unbeknownst to us, that Maria should be staying up later because she's now 20. And she informed Maria of this fact. To give you a little bit of background, Maria and Christina's bedtime is at 8 o'clock and they get up between 5 and 6 a.m. Now, one of the things that has helped to make our marriage work has been having a reliable schedule. And this is important for three reasons. First, the girls with anxiety challenges need a consistent schedule to minimize their stress. Secondly, they also need a lot of sleep. It's just how they're made. And thirdly, as parents, Jeff and I need time to ourselves when we are not caregiving. So after a discussion with Maria, we came up with the idea that her bedtime would now be 8.30. So Maria is happy because her bedtime's later. And she's happy because Christina is still going to bed at 8 o'clock because Christina is 18. And yes, I sent a thank you card to her teacher. Actually, it just had thank you on the front of the card. (laughs) Inside the card, I explained that Maria's bedtime had been moved to 8.30. And in the future, please do not make any more suggestions. Reference what is appropriate based on the age of our girls. Now, I don't think this is going to happen, but hey, when they're 21, is someone going to suggest to them that they should have adult beverages? I hope not. So just in case, I thought I would write the note (laughs) to head anything off. We have a great show today. Our guest is Emma Hemmes, attorney at law. We are going to discuss planning ahead to protect your aging special needs child with disabilities. We will discuss long-term care, supplemental security income, guardianship, advocacy, trust, and able accounts. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. 
That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest today is Emma Hemis, attorney at law. She is a state and nationally recognized expert in elder law. She was 2011 Florida Elder Lawyer Attorney of the Year. She was also, in 2011, one of the top 50 women lawyers in Florida. And she has been on the Florida Super Lawyer and Elder Law list from 2008 to 2015. Emma is one of only 100 board-certified elder law attorneys in Florida. She is also one of our family's most trusted advisors. She has helped us put into place a plan to take care of our daughters when we are no longer around. She also helped my mother-in-law and my mother with their estate planning. Today, we are going to discuss planning ahead to protect your special needs child. Hi, Emma. I'm so glad you're here today. Could you tell the audience just a little bit about your background and how you became involved with elder law and special needs individuals? Thank you, Julie. Um, I am a native of Florida. There's not very many of us. Uh, Growing up in Polk County, that's where I started my own law practice back in 1998. And as I started the law practice, I started um, doing work in estate planning, wills, trusts, powers of attorney. And I kept getting these harder and harder questions about, well, I, I know that's what's going to happen to me when I'm dead, but what about if something goes wrong while I'm alive? And so I've recognized that that was really the field of elder law, dealing with issues of, you know, aging, infirmities from aging. Maybe if someone has been born with a developmental delay, these issues are all about what happens while you're alive, making sure you're protected while alive. And so that was really the field of elder law. And that's how I got into elder law and special needs practice. Yes. And along the way, what I think is neat is the way we came to meet you is Jeff went on a presentation that you were doing about elder law. And that's how you came into our lives. And then once we realized you helped my mother-in-law with her estate planning, we came to you with our trust planning. And I can remember years ago, it was probably about 2000, we were on a trip. We left the kids home with a sitter. And my husband and I were so terrified. What if something happened to us on this trip? So that was our first time that we did estate planning in Virginia. And then when we came to Florida, we met you and we realized that we needed an estate plan here. Right. And and indeed, I think that's the most significant aspect is making sure that individuals recognize that they need an estate plan. And then the parents who have children with disabilities or with special needs, their estate plan needs to be a little bit different. I'm not going to say that they're not using a will or a trust, but they absolutely need to make sure that they're protecting their child. I was also going to say, you know, um, our firm, and I say our, our firm yes. is located in Brandon. It is the law office of Emma Hemness. But my husband and I, um, Ger- Gerald Hemness, I, we call him Jay, we're a husband and wife team. And yes. so I might do the planning for someone to make sure their wills, trusts, powers of attorney are appropriate to deal with the challenges of life, as well as the challenges, you know, that occur after you've passed away. He will work in the other field, also in the office, which is working with special needs um, parents about uh, guardian advocacy, getting guardianship, dealing with those issues as well. Yes. Well, we did two shows with Jay in March. They're available on our podcast on the website, Special Needs Family Hour. And we had a two-part show where Jay explained guardianship, and then the audience asked questions the following week, and Jay answered all those questions. So it's a great resource for parents, and I'm so glad that we'll be able to talk about 
the other aspect of planning for your special needs children. And I will say that since we've been married for over 20 years, you can work with your spouse and not get a divorce. <laughs> I know. Oh, my. We're, we're coming up on our 30th year anniversary. Congratulations. Boy, I know. But, wow. Yes. Well, the estate planning for parents who have children with disabilities, it is very different, as you were talking about. But what's the most significant difference parents should understand when they're planning for their special needs child? Well, one of the things, and and what would strike fear into the heart of parents if they know what they need to know? You know, the other aspect of it is you don't know what you don't know. But if you know what you know, the issue is you do not want to be the one who's going to be responsible for negating or nullifying any of those special benefits provided by the government to your child with disabilities. Those benefits we would be talking about would be SSI. It could be Medicaid benefits. It could be the developmental disability waiver in the state of Florida. Uh, A parent, by being um, loving and wanting to care for their child, if they do not do an appropriate estate plan, they basically can be the one at fault in hurting all of those benefits uh, if they they do not do it appropriately, of course, and protect the child appropriately. Right. And part of that protection is also protecting from persons who do not have their best interest at heart or may unduly influence their children. That's a significant issue. We see that all the time in our office. And um, that is also, you know, if we are going to make sure that we are protecting our child and leaving money so that we will have adequate caregivers beyond the lifetime of the parent when the parent is no longer with us, we don't want individuals coming in who may unduly influence uh, the adult child. Um, because they may be susceptible to that. And so we need to think about those aspects in the estate plan of the parent to make sure that we have a a whole well-rounded protection plan for our child, both for the government assistance benefits they need as their lifeline, as well as protecting them from outsiders and and from themselves, potentially. Right. Well, I liked what Jay Jay always talks about, that you're the nice attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and that's what's neat about about being an elder law is that elder law attorneys are more understanding and they're not um, contentious is a good word. I, and Adversarial Jay, aver- as yes. much. Yes. And, and Jay is the person that if you do run into one of these situations, he's the one that would help a family out if they run into a contentious situation. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah, do, do not call me if uh, you have a traffic ticket either. I know. So. <laughs> Emma, you can't see Emma, but she has this blonde hair, blue eyes, <laughs> and she is so wonderful. When I met with her, our, my mother and I, we were meeting with Emma. She just, she answers your questions, and, and any question you have, she goes through it, and you can understand what she's saying. So she speaks in plain English for her clients. So Emma does a great job. Now, are there different types of special needs trusts? I think that's where the confusion lies, and when I think most people by nature, our, our human nature is, is when we confront something that maybe we do not directly understand, our, we, we lose we lose our motivation. We lose, we become uh, susceptible to inertia. You know, a body at rest tends to stay at rest. So right. you're not wanting to do the estate planning. If you hear things about, well, what if I did this wrong, or what do I really need? And if you don't have a clear path, then you probably will not get done what you need to do. But for a parent, I think what I hear the most about the confusion is parents confuse 
first-party special needs trusts, and third-party special needs trusts. And by the way, when I say special needs trusts, yes. that can be synonymous with supplemental needs trusts. Okay. Um, so, so either one of those, because what we're doing with any of the funds that we set aside in these protected, um, you know, uh, umbrellas of, of, you know, where we can hold funds and assets on behalf of the special needs person, uh, what we're doing is we, we are spending those on anything that is not otherwise covered from maybe a, a program of government assistance. So parents who get confused about, well, I hear the first party special needs trust is only for this or the third party special needs trust is only for that. They may not do what they need to do. But the the rule that we abide by or what most parents can abide by is if it's your money, meaning parents money, and you're wanting to protect this for your child and leave an inheritance to your child, then you will only use a third party special needs trust, only a third party special needs trust. Okay. Why don't we take a break and when we go back, let's when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the special needs trusts for special needs individuals. I'm Julie Ames and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour right here on AM eight sixty, the answer. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call eight one three eight one six two six three seven. That's eight one three eight one six two six three seven. Or go to special needs family We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest today is Emma Hemis, attorney at law. She is a state and nationally recognized expert in elder law, and she's helped our family put into place our special needs trust for our daughters, and that's what we've been discussing. Along the lines of special needs trust, we're going to continue that discussion, but can you explain to the audience the primary programs of assistance that are available to their children and families? Well, Julie, um, during break, we were discussing how expensive long-term care is yes. uh, for the aging population. If it's a nursing home, it's clearly between seven and eight thousand dollars a month currently. And for a child with disabilities who grows up and needs caregivers and caregiver supports, it is extremely expensive. And so we want to make sure that we have whatever programs of financial assistance that the government provides for us as our foundation, as our safety net. And then if we have an inheritance that we have, um, you know, dutifully protected on behalf of the individual, that is used to supplement. But the primary programs of assistance that we see that individuals would um, with disabilities would otherwise be able to take advantage of would be supplemental security income. We call that SSI. Yes. And that is a cash assistance program administered through the Social Security Administration. So that's a federal program. And currently that provides a benefit of up to $733 per month. Yes. There are some very strict regulations. And it seems like every time you turn around, there's something uh, that is might, might be diminishing that. So very, right. very careful to be, if an individual is on SSI, be very careful as to how many assets you're allowed and what you spend outside, you know, what the parents can do and cannot do for that child that's on the SSI benefit. 
Then we have in Florida, we have um, the developmental disability waiver that provides actual services for an individual. Um, But as you know, that is a long, 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 long waiting list. Extremely. You could be on there for 20 years unless you go into a health crisis or if something were to happen to a parent that causes a crisis. Exactly. And so that is one of the biggest concerns that we have. Um, Good news is, is the governor, um, uh, Governor Scott, did put some extra dollars into that budget. So we're going to be seeing some of those individuals come up off the waiting list. Right. And, and the other benefit would be for maybe um, an, uh, you know, an individual with special needs who really needs a lot more care, uh, long-term supports and services. And then we have the uh, Medicaid program for institutional care, the same as what we would have for an aging population, those, those elderly people that are in the nursing home. That also is a program that a child with disabilities that have significant physical disabilities right. may need to tap into. Right. I don't know how much, uh, you know, we go into on the SSI, but as I was mentioning earlier, that's a $733 a month benefit. And that benefit in terms of cash paid is supposed to be used by the child with disabilities to pay for food or shelter. Usually if the child is less than the age of 18, if the parent is working, then the parent's income, the parent's assets will keep that child from getting that benefit. But when the child turns 18, they're seen as a separate individual. So they can go and apply at 18 for this SSI benefit, provided they do not have any assets of their own. Yes. So if they have assets of their own, those assets are held to that very, very, very low standard of only $2,000 in countable assets. So we've found individuals where well-meaning parents um, well-meaning grandparents have set up um, college accounts, right. uh, UTMAs, which are the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. Those bank accounts, those end up counting as assets. So we encounter a problem going after the SSI benefit where we're limited to only 2000 in assets. And yet we, we have this money on hand that is counted towards that SSI beneficiary or, or potential beneficiary. And I do get the question, well, we'll just take it and we'll just give it away. You know, we'll just get rid of it and then go apply for SSI. Well, a lot of people do not understand that SSI carries with it a three-year penalty period. If the disabled person gives money away that was otherwise theirs for all intents and purposes, they're subject to a three-year waiting period. And so um, that that's that's a significant issue. Yes. You just can't give it away. Right. Well, one of the interesting things here is that what's not countable is if they have a house and its contents, a car, or dollars in a special needs trust. Exactly. So that is how we can have funds on hand to supplement that $733, that's a maximum benefit, and people are allegedly supposed to live on that for their food and their shelter, meaning rent, monthly rent, but yet we can have dollars in a special needs trust that are invisible, so they're not part of the $2,000 in countable assets. So we can put as much money as we possibly ever could dream of into a special needs trust, and the special needs trusts act as an invisibility blanket, so to speak, for those dollars. Right, to protect it. Now, can SSI be lost? Like you had mentioned, it can be lost based on different things. Well, the parents help their children when they turn 18 or beyond to get the SSI benefit. But because the rules are so strict, it could be lost. It could be lost after the benefit is awarded. And it could be lost for a number of things. But there's some hidden things that occur that is through right. no fault of it. Has It really doesn't have anything to do with countable assets or exceeding the 2,000 in countable assets. Things like if a parent retires, 
Right. Or if a parent dies, that will trigger a loss of the SSI benefit because okay. then your child with special needs is now eligible for a different benefit okay. on the basis of the parent's work history. And that's called the CDB benefit. And it means that the child may get a much larger check than $733 because of the parent's work history. Okay. So SSI is actually lost, but that's not the end of the story. There might be a happy ending to the story. They may end up with a bigger check that way, but they are losing the SSI. And in Florida, with SSI comes Medicaid health insurance. Right. So basically, if you just received $1 from SSI, you automatically qualify for Medicaid. Yes, you do. And that forms, you know, that's the basic health insurance benefit. So if you lose the SSI because your parent has retired or has passed away, you get a bigger paycheck under this other program, but then you've lost your Medicaid Medicaid isn't lost for forever, but it does make the parents tear their hair out because they have to go through a different door. I call it a different governmental door. So you would have to reapply to the Department of Children and Families here in the state of Florida, which is our Medicaid agency. That's the only way you can get your Medicaid back if SSI is lost. Okay. Well, I didn't know this. <laughs> I guess a lot of the audience doesn't know this. And but- then the other unfortunate event is is even if the individual is getting this higher benefit, and let's say that we did go through the different door and we got the Medicaid health insurance benefit back, we're still very strictly regulated on how many assets we, we can have. Again, assets in a special needs stress is not going to count against you. But I have heard of higher functioning individuals. They fall in love. They, you know, they want to get married. Right. Well, guess what? If they married, then this benefit is lost. So it actually is a penalty against the individual who's getting this bigger benefit because a parent has retired or died. And then if they go and get married, then they lose the benefit entirely. So it's almost like you start all over again and see if you could go back to the beginning and reapply for SSI. Okay. So if you... I'm actually taking it to the audience. I'm actually taking notes as I'm talking to Emma. And you'll probably want to re-listen to this podcast because this isn't my first time listening to all this. I, I've been to Emma's presentations. But wow, so if a child marries, you have to start all over again. Yeah, it, it, because oh. you're losing that benefit. You're losing that benefit. But the again, I'm going to try to put a you know silver lining on a dark cloud in that regard if you do get this benefit because a parent has died or right. or you know retired after a period of close to two years, at least the child is not as worried about getting the Medicaid reinstituted for the health insurance. We've got two major, um, you know, we got two major uh, backdrops or safety nets. Right. The child will be awarded Medicare, Medicare like what um, older folks get when right. they turn sixty-five. The child will be eligible for Medicare, and then we also have, for health insurance purposes, we could also have them take out a private policy under Obamacare because there's no pre-existing conditions. Right. Now, something that surprised me, I was looking at your presentation, and I was amazed. Apparently in Florida, I mean, everyone's heard that up until 26, your child is covered under your policy, but in Florida, that age has been extended to 30? What the Affordable Care Act, which everybody yes. knows as Obamacare, um, what it did is in one, one of its 2,500 pages of law um, said that a state could choose to extend the coverage of child staying under a family policy if the employer offers a family coverage 
from 26 all the way to the age 30. Right. So there's some conditions on, you know, whether the employer extends that coverage in terms of is there family coverage or not, but Florida actually sanctioned it can go and be extended to age 30. So that means private health insurance for um, the child with disabilities or really any, any typical child as well. Right. Well, I know for me it's a concern because my girls have had their doctors, and we're not talking pediatricians. We're talking endocrinologists, neurologists. They've had them since they were five, six, seven years old. And there's a concern that once they're on Medicare that or Medicaid, Medicaid they, yeah. they won't have access to doctors as readily. That is true, and that is a concern I hear expressed quite a bit, is that there are doctors that do not accept Medicaid, and that's unfortunate because there is access denied to individuals. That's why private health insurance or the ability to access private health insurance for individuals with these disabilities that would otherwise not be able to, that pre-existing condition being removed, and that's what was brought about by Obamacare, allows them to be able to get private health insurance and not only have to rely upon Medicaid and the doctors that are willing or specialists that are willing to accept Medicaid. Yes, yes. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break. And then we're going to talk about that invisible blanket or a way of helping your child take advantage of what you're able to leave them at the time of your passing. This is Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest today is Emma Hemis, attorney at law. She is a state and nationally recognized expert in elder law, and she is also one of my family's trusted advisors. We're having a great conversation about planning for your child's future, and we are going to continue our discussion about trusts and how to make money available to your children after you're gone. And Emma, explain again the mistake that a lot of parents make between the different types of trusts. Again, I think parents are not ready or uh, I wouldn't say that they would get very excited about doing their estate plan because they are contemplating a time at which they would not be the, the primary caregiver, the anchor caregiver for their child with disabilities. Yes. But they are having to think about planning for the future. And one of the things I've heard again and again and again is misinformation or uh, possibly take hearing so much that they start to confuse the two types of trust. And I'm going to make this overly simple. I put it in one of two categories. There are the first party trusts and there's the third party trusts. Earlier in our segment, I said parents should only ever use third party trusts. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Well, let's get around to first party trusts. And I think this is what scares parents. And I think this is where the misinformation is the most is that a first-party trust, uh, one of the significant downsides to a first-party trust is that upon the demise of the child with disabilities, that trust and any funds in it must pay back the state or states 
where, on a pro rata basis, where the child would have ever received any type of medical assistance benefit. So if they received Medicaid in the state of Florida, the first bite at the apple of any funds in that trust is going to be from the state of Florida. And then only then, if there's anything left over, then it might um, go to the beneficiaries, other beneficiaries that might be part of the family. Now, first-party trust, because it has that big downside to it, parents are not, you know, if they have confusion over it, they don't want to do the estate plan because they say, well, when my child dies, the inheritance I left for my child is going to be lost. And so in previous time periods before the real advent of special needs trusts, and understand um, special needs trusts have only been around since 1993 by federal law, um, if if they don't understand that, they wouldn't be willing to put it in place. And so, you know, essentially what we have is, you know, again, with the first party trust, the only type of money that we'd be putting in there would be if the child themselves have any money. Right. So the only money that would ever go in a first party trust, if you think about it, is who is the first party? The first party is always think about the child with the disability. Right. That's the first party. Okay. So that only first easy. party. Yep. Only first party money goes into a first party trust. So parents would never put money in a first party trust. And they would never put an inheritance in a first-party trust, so it would never be subject to that payback um, to the state when the child passes away. Right. Okay, got it. Now, the third-party trust, that's what we have. And for us, um, we moved here from Virginia, and we'd done the trust in Virginia before we knew our children were special needs because we were afraid of what happens if we die or have a car wreck, what happens to our kids. So as we go through the third-party trust, you're welcome to use what you've done for me as an example. But in our case, we have the two special needs daughters, and then we have a a typical child (laughs) who is fine. And as a parent, you always want to be fair to everyone concerned. So maybe you can help explain that in the trust planning. Again, the parent is going to be utilizing a third-party trust in their estate plan. And the third-party trust, and it's easiest to think about it, is in relation to that person that has the special needs, the person that has the disabilities, whose money is it? If you just follow the money, you follow the trail, and you know exactly what type of trust you need. So as right. I mentioned earlier, if it's the money of the disabled person, you follow the money, okay, then that means that that's going to be a first-party trust. Right. If you follow the money and it's not any money that belongs to the child with a disability, then it's going to be third-party money. So right. everybody other than the child with a disability is going to be considered a third-party because it's somebody else's money other than the child with a disability. So that's why parents create third-party trust because it's their money they're leaving to the benefit of that child with a disability. So we utilize a third-party special needs trust. And as long as we remember follow the money, then with a third-party special needs trust, there is no payback. So what we do in some trusts is literally the parent can set up a trust, put a a percentage of the inheritance into that protected bubble. Uh, I call the protected bubble the third-party special needs trust. And then when that child passes away, if we haven't used that to supplement the needs of the child during their lifetime, then the parent is also from the very beginning directing where that remaining inheritance goes. So it might go back to the sibling or it might go to the child of the child with special needs. We think about they they may actually have their own child. And so the parent from the very beginning in their estate plan is directing it back around. And so there is a choice of, of what you put in place 
if you're doing the third-party special needs trust. And I think it really depends upon somebody just giving you the options. What do you want? What's going to work best for you? But parents should only use third-party special needs trust. Yes. And what parents need to realize is it's just a lot of times it's just one document. For instance, your your home can be part of your trust. Absolutely. And that's just filling out one document assigning your home to the special needs trust or your car to the special needs trust. All you're doing is you're taking your assets and putting them in a pile that can be utilized if something happens to you at a later date. Yes, absolutely. And so let's let's give an example. Yes. Um, a lot of parents, they will use a revocable living trust as their core estate plan document. Right. A revocable living trust would be the, um, opposed to maybe using a last will and testament. So it's a flavor choice. When you pass away, you can use either one of these to receive your inheritance and pass it along. Right. So revocable living trust between parents, they usually leave it all to the surviving spouse. But upon the demise of the second spouse's surviving spouse, then they have that third-party special needs trust. And it's in the document. And I like to say it's sleeping because you can see it, you can read about right. it, you can see the conditions of it. But until it is ready to wake up, that third-party special needs trust, until it's ready to wake up to receive the inheritance and reach its arms out around the inheritance and create a protected bubble of invisibility around it, it's sleeping in the document itself, like in a revocable living trust or even in a will. You know, you and um, Jeff used uh, a revocable living trust because avoiding probate was very important to you. And that's how you mentioned you can put your home in it. You can put cars in it. You can put any assets in it. You can direct life insurance proceeds to it. But upon the second demise, the third party special needs trust for a special needs child will wake up. It'll it'll see the inheritance coming towards it. It'll reach out like a big old arms and it'll wrap around that inheritance. And then from that point forward. No SSI, no Medicaid cannot see that as accountable asset. And then we get to distribute. We have a trustee that you, the parents have selected right. that can distribute to the child throughout their lifetime. Yes. And at the time of their demise, if there's any funds left over, the state of Florida does not get a bite at that apple. It is it is directed to other inheritors. So we're not losing anything with the parent's initial inheritance. Yes. And the other thing interesting about these trusts is let's say you have a child. Let's say you have a bunch of kids and one child isn't as responsible. You can delay them receiving any income until they're 50 or 60. Or There's a lot of things you can do with a trust. Yes, I have heard parents do that. <laughs> they, they, they do have the opinion that uh, you know their children may never mature enough to handle money. Um, but it, it is especially important on uh, for a child with special needs is that, and we talked about it earlier, somebody falling under undue influence, somebody trying to steal from them. Right. When it is in that trust, it's under the control of a trustee. And so the child with special needs really does not have access, but the trustee is commanded to do what is best, what is in the best interest of that child with special needs. So they use the money only for the child with special needs, but the child with special needs themselves cannot access the funds directly. So we have a protection mechanism to make sure we're doing the right thing and then also not disrupting any of their government assistance benefits. Right, right. Now, what's interesting is there's probably people listening saying, well, I don't have enough assets to merit having a trust. But I think the average home in the Bay Area is about $180,000, $200,000. And let's say you're, you have a 30-year home loan, maybe you're... Mm, 40s, but you have equity in it. Maybe it's 60,000 equity in your home. Whatever you have. And the point here is that that is money that your child is not going to get. 
And all your child is going to have are whatever government benefits are available. So if you don't protect what you have, and it's not that much money that can make a much better life for your child. And I know whenever I do vocational rehab and I talk about having a job, I'm thinking about that quality of life. And it doesn't take that much more to have a better quality of life. So I think everyone should be looking at this. So if you're out there and saying, oh, I don't have the money, just call Emma and figure out and and at least consider it. One of the um, one of the things that with Obamacare again coming back to Obamacare, one of the specific distributions that I like to write in the special needs trust that that I prepare for the parents. And again, we're looking at the future as what is this child going to need in the future, and we're trying to take into consideration what the possibilities are at some unknown point in time. Is one of the things that I love to write into this is the to tell the trustee pay the private health insurance premium that we can now get because of Obamacare. And so we may not have to rely upon Medicaid and only the doctors that accept Medicaid. We can actually use the third-party special needs trust funds to allow that child with disabilities to actually own a private health insurance policy and be covered under a private health insurance policy. And also, we could even ensure the life of a primary caregiver. Like if the sibling becomes the primary caregiver and the lack of that care giver would be devastating to the individual, the trust could pay the premium on a life insurance policy on the caregiver to flow back the money or replace the money from that caregiver if we lost them. Wow, this is excellent. Um, I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to Special Needs Family Hour. I'm here with Emma Hemis. We're discussing trust and planning for your special needs child, and we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about ABLE accounts. And this is something new that was signed into law December of 2014. So we're going to give you the latest and greatest. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest today is Emma Hemis, attorney at law. She is the state and nationally recognized expert in elder law. We have been discussing taking care of your special needs child after you're gone, and we are discussing a new law that was passed. It's called ABLE Accounts, and it was passed in December 2014. Can you explain a little bit about ABLE Accounts, Emma? When I go out to speak to um, parents and at uh, different conferences, they're coming up and they're asking me, what is what is this thing? What is this thing I hear about ABLE? Yes. I hear this ABLE account. When will it be here? What 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 is it? Well, ABLE Accounts is called Achieving a Better Life Experience, and it is a federal law, and correctly you mentioned it was actually signed into law in December of 2014 by President Obama. And then all of the states were supposed to then enact it in their legislatures across the nation. Well, Florida did get on the ball right away, and they addressed it in its legislative session in 2015, and so it was... Uh, 
in law, and then we had to wait for the Treasury, the IRS, Treasury regulations, <laughs> yes. because it is a tax-preferred account. So right. uh, the the official, uh, I guess I should say the official number of, I think we're all familiar with 529 accounts. Right. Well, this is a 529A Account. Okay. So this is actually for persons with special needs to be able to put some money aside, but it's tax preferred, so it functions very much like a 529 in its tax preferred status. But we had to wait for the Treasury to issue its regulations because it was a change to the Internal Revenue Code. Right. And then the Social Security Administration that issues all of the rules regarding SSI beneficiaries had to adopt regulations um, regarding ABLE as well. So it's been this long, tedious process, and Florida promises that that parents will actually be able to establish or anybody else can be able to establish an ABLE account by July 1 of this year. Really? Yes. Yes. Uh, I I keep getting promised. I have a contact in Tallahassee, and I keep getting promised it's coming. It's coming. It'll be here by July 1. Now, ABLE has garnered a lot of attention because... Able was seen as as an opportunity to set money aside for your child other than doing a standalone third-party special needs trust. So, right. again, we got parents' money or a family member's money or a relative, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. They want to set some money aside. Right. Um, but, but to set it aside in the child with disabilities ruins the SSI. So... So we have been able to use standalone third-party special needs trusts, but then there was the the perception that maybe they're too expensive. Maybe the lawyers charge too much right. to establish those. Okay. So an ABLE account is something that could be established free okay. Okay, through the state of Florida. And what is – but there's there's pluses, there's minuses. Right. Okay. Now, I'm going to go through some of the downsides of the ABLE account, and real briefly here is – a disability has to be in place by the age of 26. Okay. So anybody who was injured later in life by a car accident or on-the-job right. injury or something like that, they're not going to be able to take advantage of an ABLE account. Okay. There can only ever be one ABLE account, ever, 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 one. Okay. And the ABLE account has to be established in the state where the disabled person resides. Okay. So if grandma wants to contribute $10,000 to the account... Uh, it can only go into the one account, okay. and a maximum of only 14000 per year can be contributed. Right. So here's a rub there. As parents who get divorced, they each want to contribute money. They can only contribute a maximum of 14 per year per person, anybody, anybody, everybody. So it's cumulative, uh-huh. no more than 14 not per person, I apologize, oh, total. but Okay. Total per year. So grandma, mom, dad, total fourteen. Total fourteen thousand. So it's okay. fourteen thousand people contributing one dollar, or one person contributing okay. fourteen thousand okay. dollars. So that's a rub between maybe a divorced couple. You know right. who's contributing the money, um, or if we have more than fourteen thousand to contribute. And here's the real issue: here is that even though it's a third party money, the able account was written where it requires a payback. Yes. So a payback at the death of the beneficiary, which is the disabled person, there will be a payback to the state that it provides. Yep. Okay. And so unlike a third-party special needs trust, an ABLE account does have a payback. So that's one of the more significant disadvantages. 
Um, okay. So, so that's that's able in a nutshell. Wow. Well, thank you. This has been a lot of information. Um, can you please tell people where to contact you, and what's the best way to get a hold of you? No problem. We are located in Brandon. It is the law office of Emma Hemness. And if you want updates on able and things like that, I put the, put them on our Facebook page, which is very easy. Law office of Emma Hemness. We're located at 309 North Parsons Avenue. That's three blocks south. Excuse me, north of 60. Uh, The hospital is to the south of 60, but 309 North Parsons uh, Avenue in Brandon. And our phone number at the office is 813-661-LAWS, which is 5297. Great. Thank you so much for being here today. I've been wanting to do the trust show. We had Jay on, and you're welcome to listen to that podcast on the Special Needs Family website. And don't forget, we also have another sponsor, Montefiore Consulting, that helps individuals with their special needs, our SSI, the Social Security Supplemental Benefit. This is Julie Ames, and you've been listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. And don't forget to join us next Sunday at 1 o'clock. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1 for the Special Needs Family Hour, only on AM 860. The Answer. The Answer.